Good morning, everybody. So glad to be with you this morning and thankful for the guys and the ladies up here that helped to prepare us and guide us into a heart of worship and uh, delight today as we are talking about. Uh, you'll see up on the screen here as we begin our uh, time together a text number, and that number is for you if there are uh, moments here in the message that you want to interact with more. You say, you know what, I've got more questions about that. I'd like to understand what you're talking about, Jeff. You mumbled through that section as you do from time to time. <laughs> My wife and I are hilarious, by the way, because she has a little bit of hearing weirdness in this ear, and I mumble. And when we're driving in the car, my kids someday are just going to be witness to us going, what? Huh? 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 But, uh, Whatever it is, I would love to have you text in your questions, and then on Wednesdays I get online and answer some of those questions, one or two of them. And we've been we've had our Wednesday Q and A's up for a couple weeks now, and just invite you to uh, to ask anything uh, and interact with uh, me in the message this morning. Um, MVA here at MVA we follow the way of Jesus, and we are in a season of renewal and connection with a pattern that God built into creation and that Jesus has modeled for us. And we have learned in this time, if you're just joining us, we're learning the discipline of stopping in a very busy world that demands and demands and demands and we say yes, yes, yes. Some of us really need a no button. Uh, we say yes to all of them, and we, we end up in a deep state of constant anxiety. We have found that the rhythm that God has put into his creation and his world is yes to work and to work hard, but it is also to stop and to rest in him. And so we've experienced that, and we've challenged each other on this to stop and now to rest. And those of you, the many of you are going through this with us, this challenge, have uh, now done that twice and this week uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what to do now as we stop and rest I had a chance to go out and uh, meet with many of the groups this week as they were meeting and deliver some cookies and uh, encourage and I'm so encouraged by the folks that are meeting and as I asked how Sabbath had been going for everybody it, the responses were everything from it was a come easy blessing for me to it was a formidable challenge for me. And whether or not uh, you're in either of those camps or somewhere in the middle, that has been pretty much a very common experience for myself and my family as we have engaged in Sabbath uh, for some time now. And what I have found out is that whether it is a blessing or whether it ends up just being a real challenge, the factors at first tend to be pretty similar. And they go like this. Number one is circumstances. Number two, preparation. It's a matter of preparation. And then number three, a position of the heart. Circumstances get in the way and then, well, there's this, either we are prepared or we are not, and then there's matters of the heart, whether or not we are actually prepared ourselves. But what I find to happen over time is that as we adapt to this rhythm of life that perhaps we have either never adapted to or we have in the past that we've just lost, those things switch in order. So later on, the factors become 
the position of the heart primarily then our preparation again did we work hard in the week and give ourselves the opportunity to rest and have we prepared and set aside the time leading up to it and then circumstances move their way down the list early in the process we're getting used to the rhythm either for the first time or again we're reintegrating it back into our lives and early on you'll have circumstances that come up that will affect your sabbath and that'll be the primary primary challenge for example good news comes from a job promotion and sabbath time becomes a restful celebration that week but an increase in rent the next week makes Sabbath time not so restful after that. Or you have a positive week with no conflict with coworkers or family members, and so you move into Sabbath with a very restful heart and attitude, but then the next week a new medical challenge comes up that you didn't know was coming, and all of a sudden Sabbath is a time of hand-wringing and worry. And our circumstances can affect deeply what's going on in our time of rest. As time goes, though, and I want to encourage you on this, your practice in this rhythm of rest will change the way that you engage with your circumstances. Circumstances will begin to have less and less bearing on the heart of those moments in the presence of God, fully engaged with Him and His people. That's been our experience in our family as we have moved into this rhythm more and more is that that rest happens in circumstances and in spite of circumstances. And the position of our hearts then begins to far outweigh the circumstances and yes, sometimes even our own preparation. And that's the most dynamic shift that I have seen in my intentional Sabbath practice over time that true rest comes in God's holy time in and in spite of the circumstances in the world around me and it's not just rest that comes in spite of circumstances there is even more of God's blessing and I'd like to talk with you about that this morning the next phase we've already alluded to it if you would go ahead and turn your Bibles with me back to again the first chapter of Genesis back to the beginning when God set this rhythm of creation into motion as you do it just remind you that the seven day week is the only setting of time that we have in our calendar that is not based on the sun's movement or the moon's movement it is just something that we do and it is because of the rhythm God put into creation at the beginning Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1 says this thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And take notice of verse 3 with me this morning. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. So he finishes, he stops, and he rests. And then he actually takes an action. And the action is to bless the rest. God blessed the rest. Now, what does it mean to bless something? Well, bless in the scripture 
we find many different uh, times over and over, hundreds of times in the Old and New Testament. It's a public declaration of favor and status with God. You are blessed, Moses. You are blessed, Abraham. You are blessed, David. You are blessed. It is a, it's, a, it's, an, a, 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 it's a status. It's favor with God. Second, the blessing endows power and prosperity and success to the one who is given the blessing. In all cases, the blessing serves as a guide and its motivation for the one who is given this blessing to, to pursue whatever course of life God has put them on with that blessing. Did you know it's also possible for us to bless God? Now you think, how, how God doesn't need a blessing from us, but, and yet we can. Psalm 103 gives us wording that we sing word for word sometimes in our services with the song that says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul, worship his holy name. You know that song that we sing? That's verbatim. That's just, we're singing scripture back to God. And in that occurrence, what we're saying is we praise, we extol, we give great fa our favor upon you, Lord. Like it matters, but we just want you to know that our favor is upon the Lord. Then in the New Testament, Jesus teaches that there are many kinds of people who are blessed. In fact, he begins his great Sermon on the Mount with blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, blessed, 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 blessed. So if we take all of this together and we're trying to try to simplify it into one statement, which is very difficult to do, but if you were just to try to take it all and to try to put it into something that we could take and and, and put this into to, to one phrase. Let's say, just say this, that blessed is f to mean full to the point of happiness. Blessed, full to the point of satisfaction and happiness. Which is very strange if you think about it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who are sad for the brokenness of the earth. Happy are the sad people. But full full in understanding of the brokenness of the world, but made full by God in spite of it because they understand their need for a Savior. Blessed, full to the point of happiness. God makes this time in Sabbath, in the beginning, in his rhythm, full to the point of happiness. He makes a day of delight. And this is a hard one for us, actually. Delight is something that we have to fight for. We have to practice it, and it seems a little counterintuitive to us, frankly, at times. We think joy should just find us, right? Sabbath delight is an act, though, of the will. It's something that we have to work for. Joy will come to you through circumstances. Yes, that is true. This time of the year, we get a sunny day. And it is a source of joy, isn't it? Right? We get up into the 50s, and you don't just feel a warmth outside your body. It's like your soul warms up a little bit, right? You just run outside in your bathing suit with the thing, and you're just like, yes, Lord. I was driving around one of those days this past week. We got one of those warm winter days, and I saw these two ladies. I think I was driving over in Chateau, and I saw these two ladies walk by, and I caught eyes with them, and they just went... 
And I went, oh, hello, you know. I passed a couple people, I was pulling out of the car wash, and I passed a couple people pulling in, you know, Tim Hortons and the car wash and Taco Bell, the trifecta of awesomeness over there. Um, I was pulling out of one of those areas, and I remember someone pulling in and smiling, hey, oh, hello. Another person pulling out of another area caught my eyes, and oh, hi, and I went, oh, hello, you know. We're all happy today. The circumstances have warmed our souls and our spirits. When I lived up in Wisconsin, we moved down from Kenosha, Wisconsin to come here. I always said up there that there were three temperatures in Wisconsin. There's lukewarm, cold, and pain. (laughs) We spent a lot of time in pain up in Wisconsin. And uh, every once in a while, it would warm up during that really cold season up there. And I remember one time in our church parking lot that was just as flat as a pancake and these Arctic winds would blow across the parking lot. And I remember getting out of my car, and I just went, oh, it's wonderful out. It was 20 degrees outside. <laughs> and I just went, oh, you know, and I was like, let me just bask in this for a moment. And I felt like it was 78 degrees at the beach. But we have here cold and pain days occasionally as well in central Ohio. Now, what happens on one of those cold or pain days when those two ladies walk by me and I drive by over in Chateau? They look more like this, don't they, right? They're just getting through, and then you see people driving out and you catch eyes with them, and not so much a smile very often on those days. You might get waved at. might not be all the fingers, but you will get waved at sometimes. You know how that goes right joy seemingly disappears with a cold northerly wind and that is why it is a discipline it is a decision that we make to be joyful in circumstances and in spite of circumstances Richard Foster who writes a celebration of discipline that perhaps you have heard of it is one of those books that has been shared and and passed down and It's a helpful tool in helping us to understand this disciplined way of practicing God's ways. Uh, He says this, that is why celebration is a discipline. It's not something that falls on your head. It is the result of a consciously chosen way of living. You ever see people that are just happy all the time and you think, I just want to be like them. How are they like that? They're just geared that way. You know, that might be true, but I also guarantee you that if a person is that consistently joyful, they have had to make the decision to be. One of the problems with joy and delight is that most of us don't determine to live it. We want to be known as joyful people. We would like to. I don't know anybody that's like, I'm a big grouch, and I just that's what I'm working for. I just want you to uh, you know, catch what I'm throwing down. Well, I might know a couple people like that, but we, we, we take it. We take it when it comes, like a weather system or a season. Oh, joy has come. And we perceive, perhaps, maybe this is what holds us back, that if we are joy seekers, then we are selfish or we're indulgent people. But I want to, I hope if that's how you feel today, I hope to change your thinking on it because I want you to understand this, that the way of Jesus is the way of joy in all things. 
The way of Jesus is the way of joy in all things. You Christians baptized in pickle juice, you got to hear this. The way of Jesus is the way of joy in all things. Does that mean that there won't be times of deep sadness? Of course not. Absolutely there will. One of the shortest verses in the Bible. You know it? Jesus, what? That's right, he cried. He was so sad at the loss of a friend. Yes, there will be times of sadness, but they will be underlined by a decision of life to live in joy because of what Jesus has done for the man who died. One of the points of John Mark's video this week that you'll be reviewing and hearing in your groups is this, that Sabbath is a discipline of celebration and a delivery mechanism for joy. I hope that the image is becoming a little clearer to you. And I hope to dissuade you if you have gone down this route of practicing Sabbath with this, I hope to dissuade you if your feeling is that Sabbath practice is some kind of dreary addition of rules into your life that you have it backwards if that's the case instead it is a time of deep delight each week that we look forward to Maradon the theologian says we have uh, when we observe a day especially set apart for beauty all the rest of life is made more beautiful Derek uh, did a great thought experiment with our students here a couple weeks ago and he proposed a question to them and the question that he asked was something like this what could I do that would bring me joy with God and he puts put that in front of her kids and essentially just asked them what brings you deep delight in your heart and their answers were very telling in fact their answers were few because it was very hard for them to actually answer that question. Why? Could it be because we have taught our kids a rhythm of life that looks something like this, be busy, be busy, be busy, be involved, be in school, be in activities, be in this, be in that, and every once in a while, take your phone out and distract yourself little dopamine hit great back at it busy 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 take your phone out take it okay busy 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 okay downtime binge netflix here we go binge video games binge back at it busy 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 see the rhythm what do you delight in i don't know I don't. Adults, what do you delight in? Perhaps we live in the same rhythm. Maybe that question is hard to answer for you as well, but I guarantee you that if you will take a moment, if you will stop on your Sabbath and you'll ask you and your family, perhaps this week as you gather around this question, really ask this question, what do you delight in? If you'll slow down, you'll come to find out answers to that question. Did that with my family this week, and here were some of our answers. We sat around our Sabbath table this week, lit our candles. We said, what is it, what is it that, that just brings me delight and joy with the Lord? One of them was watching our children use their gifts. Man, my wife and I just love to see my daughter using her gifts of acting and and playing piano, 
seeing my son, he loves the stage as well. He's, he, but, but being with people, Liam just loves to be with people, loves to work over at the coffee shop and, and just share with the person, talking to him at the counter. I just joy as I'm sitting there watching him interact with folks. I love to see you and laughing and telling jokes and playing soccer. I love to see our kids using their gifts. Ewan said, writing songs. Abby said, reading a good book. Ewan said, just being in a hotel in the conference center with the people at Winter Worship and Workshop that's coming this week. We're going down to Tennessee to do a conference and speaking down there and helping with a conference that I help with every year. And it skews a little older in age. And because of the time of the year, it's a little harder for parents with kids to get down to this program. So where is the big funtivity for my son to go down and be amazed by, you know, is there, a, is there like a trampoline jump house in the middle of the conference for him? No, he just loves to be with God's people in the warmth of the atmosphere with them. Great joy to the soul. I said, riding my motorcycle on the back roads at sunset, buddy. Woo! Just being out in God's creation there was this one time I was out and I turned a corner out west, you know, the back roads, and this farmer's plowing his field and the sunset's going down low. And because I'm a minister, I did not exceed the speed limit, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I took off. But, but I mean, the wind's going through and I'm looking out over God's creation and I'm just going, you are so good. This is so amazing just to be out here. And we, sometimes, you ever feel kind of sarcastic about your hometown, your home area? But I'll tell you what, this is a beautiful place. The flatlands, when the sun gets low in the sky here, do you know we don't have sunsets in southern Ohio? It's just hills, okay? The sun goes down at 5 o'clock and it gets cold and damp. Up here, you can see the beauty of that laying low in the sky. Now, you might hear that list and think, you know what? I don't notice in that list a lot of big ticket items on there. Well, hopefully last week we established there's nothing wrong with a big vacation. However, here's what I want you to, to understand about this is that it is just not necessary to pay the big bucks and go to the big places to engage in the delight and the rest of God. Instead of trying to outrun stress, what God does is he invites us to let it all catch up with us in his presence and turn it all over to him. And you're going to hear more about that in your study this week, about this Sabbath sadness that sometimes hits us because we allow the things of life to catch up. But we'll talk about a process to face that and a God who is bigger than all of it. But what happens as we rest and we delight in him is that we experience his beauty and that can happen at Disney World and it does or it can happen in your living room on one of those cold pain days outside when it's dreary and you're sitting alone in the quiet of your home this beautiful nature of creation in the mundane even, is built into the faith, the heritage of our faith in ordinary moments down through history. In the liturgical Christian traditions, which just means 
uh, liturgy, the work of worship, uh, the church year consists of two main festival celebrations. Now, liturgy is just a word that indicates a process and a path through which we celebrate uh, what Jesus has done through the year and we engage with it. Okay, and, and the church adopted this, and it's not necessarily something that happens in, in this congregation. Uh, it's not a mandated thing. There's nothing wrong with it, essentially. But let's just look at it for a second, because this is something that has traditionally gone on in the church for a very long time in different church traditions. So what you see is there in December, we have a time of Christmas, right? Yes, I know, Beth excited. How long until Christmas? Do you have a countdown somewhere? Ten months, yeah, stop it. Uh, <laughs> but it, that's a relatively short season. We have the Advent leading to Christmas, and then there's this section of Epiphany, and then Lent leading into Easter. But really, there are just two holidays, holy days, on the church calendar. It's Christmas and Easter. And there are times in the season that build up, and kind of wind down from those two days. And then you'll see that big green section at the bottom, which is June through November, and you see the description of that? Ordinary time. And the description in the calendar is that we, we through December through May, we think of Jesus' story, and then the ordinary time is, well, it's, it's about us. And the reason that it is green is it's about growth. Okay. So this is the time for, for us to go. But there's no other holidays, Christmas and Easter. The only other holiday in the traditional Christian church calendar is Sabbath. It's the time of rest. And in the church world, the Christian Sabbath, which is Sundays, when we come together and we worship. Reuben Job is a... Uh, He's a, a writer and a theologian. He wrote a book called A Guide to Prayer for All Who Seek God. And he says this, For Christians, each week's Sunday was and is a little Easter. I like that. Just little Easter. Welcome to little Easter, everybody. Now, we'll talk next week a little bit more about how worship and Sabbath are interconnected. That's the last theme that we'll talk about. But what I'd like to point out here is that delight is found in the common just the common era the common time and the common day beauty is found in the conventional Devin Brown is a literary scholar he's a professor at Asbury's, Asbury College and he's an expert on J.R.R. Tolkien who wrote Lord of the Rings and C.S. Lewis who you may know from Chronicles of Narnia but many other writings and he says that both of those men Loved something that he calls the sacramental ordinary. In a paper that he wrote on Tolkien, he wrote this, Tolkien's trilogy is filled with scenes of great moments, events such as the colossal battle fought at Helm's Deep and the Siege of Gondor. However, at the same time, Tolkien places an equally strong focus on the value and the significance of the commonplace in the world. If you read his books you'll know he writes songs into his stories this guy's going along singing songs and eating together a focus on what could be called the sacramental ordinary in middle earth it's likely that tolkien acquired some of his sense of the sacramental ordinary from his readings of chesterton gk chesterton who once wrote ordinary things are more valuable than extraordinary things nay they are more 
extraordinary. C.S. Lewis seemingly expresses the same whimsical attitude about the beauty of the common. If you remember in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, remember little Lucy, she falls into, the, uh, into Narnia through the wardrobe, and all of a sudden she's in this snowy wonderland, and she's in a place where animals can talk, and there's a witch, and there's magic, and there's all sorts of things going on. And what is the first thing that she does? She has tea with a deer. Oh, the sacramental ordinary. The story of the incarnation of Jesus Christ is one that is sacramental ordinary as well. The son of the most high God, think about it, born in a feeding trough in a seemingly obscure place to a poor teenage mother. To anyone looking at that scene, they would say, well, that's just... A very ordinary moment. I mean, why, Jesus, did you not show up at Phantasmic? That would have been a better spot. You know, during the big fireworks display at the end of the night at, 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 at the Magic Kingdom, why not, why not blow it out? Because God values the ordinary. Sabbath at its heart is also a moment of the sacramentally ordinary. Maybe you have stopped and maybe you have rested and now you hear a call to delight and you might think, I'm not sure if I can afford delight every week, Jeff. That sounds expensive. I would just encourage you to realign your idea of delight because a lot of times we will say, hey, what are you going to do this weekend? And what we're saying is, where are you going to go outside your house and spend money to experience something? Remember that the beauty of God exists in the ordinary. Also remember that this is an act of the will. Friday night, I went to bed early. I wasn't feeling great. And all my kids were still up downstairs. And I laid there in bed, and I listened to them laugh. And I don't know what their conversation was about, and it did not matter it was seemingly a moment very common. It happens in our house quite a bit, but it was Sabbath, and my mind and heart were tuned to delight, and so I listened to them laugh, and as an act of the will, I searched for a source of joy in it for me, and boy, did I found it, find it. I thought about how much I loved that sound. I thought about the fact that sound won't always be in my house. I remembered a song by Everclear, of all things. <laughs> Some words that were written by a guy named Art Alexakis, who is not a great role model. But those words, they stuck with me even before I had kids, and then I found myself singing them again. The only thing that ever made sense to me is the sound of my little girl laughing through the window on a summer night. I sit alone in the backyard wishing I could be inside. Just the sound of my little girl laughing makes me happy just to be alive. And as I listen to that laughter, that seemingly common thing, I lay in bed in the most common of moments that have gone by in my house without notice 
in the past and now they overwhelm me to the point of tears because of the rich beauty of it. Why? Because I have attuned my senses to the gifts of God in the sacramental ordinary. Oh, how much delight from my Father I have missed out on in my life because I simply did not sanctify the time. And I did not sanctify the effort to experience it. Listen to the words of the great prophet Isaiah. He says in Isaiah 58, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, you see the act of will? If you call the Sabbath a delight, and the Lord's day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please and speaking idle words, here's what will happen. Then you will find your joy in the Lord. The act of will and the result. And I will cause you to ride and triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has Spoken. He didn't have to add that last part, but he just wanted you to know this is what God says. If you call this ceasing and stopping a delight, if you call this rest a delight, that is exactly what it will be. It will be your joy. And that joy will be found in the Lord. Remember Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. This is a blessing to us. It's a delight. It's a refreshing in God. As Abraham Joshua Heschel says, it's not for the sake of the weekdays. We don't Sabbath for the sake of weekdays. The weekdays are for the Sabbath. It's not an interlude. It is a climax to living. It's not just a break to get a breather. It's a pinnacle of joy in the week only to be accented and topped by the inclusion of communion with Christ here together as we do the work of worship. He says this, man is not a beast of burden. You need to hear this. We need to hear this right now in our culture. Man is not a beast of burden. The Sabbath is not for the purpose of enhancing our efficiency. Last in creation, first in intention, the Sabbath is the end of the creation of heaven and earth. He rested, he blessed, and he hallowed on the seventh day. So the prohibition of labor, to the prohibition of labor, therefore he added blessing of delight and an accent of sanctity, which we'll talk about next week. So question, what delights exist in your life? What really, I mean really, turns your heart warm with gladness and is a great reason for delight in God's goodness to you. Maybe this week you just need to stop long enough to be able to answer that question. Maybe you haven't been able to answer it in a long time. 
A question may come to mind as we're talking about these things, about Old Testament law and New Testament practice, and we're going to talk about that next week, and I will introduce you next week to the most prolific Sabbath breaker of all. His name's Jesus, okay? And we will find out that he broke the law of Sabbath, but not the heart of it, and we will understand uh, that a little bit more together. But today, I'd like to close, I'd like to take you back one more time to C.S. Lewis in the land of Narnia. My dad used to read me, he read me all these books when I was a kid. And my kids love them as well. My daughter especially loves them. And as we were sharing our perspective about delight at Sabbath uh, dinner this past Friday, as we began our celebration, she brought this up and I said, honey, that is so wise. And can I share that in my sermon Sunday? And she said, sure. In the book, uh, Prince Caspian, Aslan the lion, who is the personification of Jesus in the land of Narnia, is with King Edmund and King Peter. And toward the end of the book, you can see it's about the end, he, uh, he shows up. And he has been absent from Narnia for hundreds of years. And so it is with great joy and amazement that they see once again the presence of the great lion amongst them. But he tells them, Instantly, guys, I'm here. Good to see you. Now it's time to go to war and preserve and protect the land. And so he sends them out to find Prince Caspian, the two kings, and to go to war. And it says they were speechless, and neither of the boys dared to ask if Aslan would follow them. But all of them drew their swords and saluted and turned and jingled away into the dusk. So they go out, Aslan sends them off to war, and he does not follow. What does he do then? Does it seem like he go, should go with them? Well, the girls are watching. You know the girls, Lucy and uh, Susan. And uh, he says, all right, girls, here's what we're going to do. I want you to get on my back, and uh, I'm going to roar. And so he lets out this gigantic roar. And then there's this picture, all of these animals that are all around them that says their heads came out from under their wings, owls hooted, hedgehogs grunted, the trees stirred. And all of a sudden, all these animals come rushing toward the sound of this amazing roar. And Aslan, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this back, I remember hearing this story, and I'm like, he's, he's going to take them all to war with him, awesome, he's going to follow them. Nope. He throws a party. The music starts, and there's dancing, and the trees are dancing, and the animals are dancing, and they say, Aslan, Aslan, and they're various husky and creaking, wave-like voices. And the crowd dances around Aslan, and it grew so thick and rapid that Lucy was confused. There was even, unexpectedly, someone on a donkey, and everyone was laughing, and everybody was shouting, Uan, Uan, Uoi, Oi, Oi. Is this a romp, Aslan? cried the youth, and apparently it was. But nearly everyone seemed to be having a different idea as to what they were playing. There were all these games that were being played at the same time. There were some people over here playing checkers. There were some people, you know, playing, uh, 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 what is the bad game? There, there's all sorts of excitement going on. The donkey was under the impression that the whole thing was a circus, and he tried to give a display of walking on his hind legs. There's just all this craziness happening, and finally, the party is so big that people just pass out, and they're tired. They go to sleep. 
They wonder what Aslan is going to say. Why are we partying right now? Well, they wake up the next day. Early in the morning, after a few hours of sleep, the girls had waked to see Aslan standing over them and to hear his voice saying, we will make a holiday. The party's not over. And so he says, let's take this party on the road. And they begin to go to different villages and different places. Let's see. And they go down to the river. And there's a, a, uh, like a tree-type creature in the river that's in chains. And they take the chains off him. And they say, join the party. And they go and they pick up a girl from a history class. Because history class is boring. And they say, come out and join the party. They bump into a man who is beating a boy with a stick. Aslan turns the man into a tree and tells the boy, come on and join the party, because, you know, that's what you do. Turn him into a tree. They go to another classroom. I think C.S. Lewis, as a professor, still didn't like school for some reason. But they find a teacher, and the teacher is teaching a classroom full of pigs, and he says, hey, that teacher looks sad. Who wants to be teaching pigs? He lets the, the boy pigs loose, and he says to the teacher, come on and join the party. The party grows bigger and bigger and bigger. He sees a woman who is sick. He can't get into her house. Aslan's too big. He breaks the house in two, goes in, heals her. She joins the party. At the end of the chapter, it says this, and so at last, with leaping and dancing and singing with music, and laughter, and roaring, and barking, and neighing, they all came to the place where Miraz's army stood, flinging down their swords. This is the bad guy. They all came to the place where the army stood, flinging down their swords, and holding up their hands, and Peter's army, still holding their weapons, and breathing hard, stood round them with stern and glad faces. He sends his guys off to war, and he throws a party and the party grows and grows and grows until he meets the guys who he has sent off to war who have just been victorious we never see the war we only see the party what's C.S. Lewis getting at here well my daughter understood and, and C.S. Lewis shares but part of the nature of our God is that the lion leads us to war and to a party. And they are going on at the same time. Our lives are challenging. They are hard, and we bring in this place with us challenges. But I want to encourage you, you don't have to feel guilty about delight. Jesus calls us to a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light and a cross to bear. Jesus says in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you ha may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, take joy, take delight. I have overcome the world. Trouble and delight right at the same time. So fight and look forward to the delight of rest on the journey as a precursor to the forever rest because just like our Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God we have ultimate joy to look forward to as well so delight and fight fight with him delight with him and follow his way 
on the journey. Father God, this morning I thank you for the invitation. And Lord, there are soldiers here in the fight who have been faithful for years. I pray that you would remind them and encourage them that there is delight in the journey. And there are some folks who have just been avoiding the pain uh, of life, trying to just get by, and I would just pray, God, that you would invite them to the delight of knowing you fully and trusting you fully so that the rhythm of life that you have offered to us might invigorate them and encourage them for the pain and the challenges of the everyday. Lord, we come into this place in all sorts of perspectives and backgrounds and seasons. But Father, delight may be had in and in spite of circumstances when we trust you fully and where we look for you, even in the ordinary. We praise you and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice also that God blessed the Sabbath day. The word there is barak in Hebrew. To barak can be translated to bless, but it can also be translated to make happy. The Sabbath is a happy day. An entire 24-hour time period set aside to follow God's example, to stop, rest, yes, and to delight in God's world, to let your mind focus on all that is very good in the earth, all that is tov, to curate a view of the world with special attention to the good, the beautiful, and the true, to delight in your life in God's world. It's so easy to lose sight of just how much goodness is all around us. Neuroscientists tell us the mind is drawn to the negative over the positive at a rate of something like 14 to one. On the Sabbath, we mitigate against this survival instinct in our brain, and we remember, as the Sabbath command has it, just how many blessings populate our life. Finally, we delight in God himself, in the access we have through Jesus' death and resurrection and the coming of the Spirit into the inner life of the Trinity. Via the practices, all of them, but especially the Sabbath, we get to participate in the flow of love and joy and peace between the Father and the Son and the Spirit just by setting our life before God and lifting up our heart to Him in prayer. Many of us, to be honest, have yet to learn how to enjoy God. Believe in Him? Yes, check the box. Learn from Him? Okay, take notes. Fear Him? Obey Him even, but delight in Him? But the longer I follow Jesus, the more of my life I give to prayer and to Sabbath, the more I realize how incredibly good God is. He radiates joy from His inner person. And as we draw near to God, we draw near to all that our heart is aching for, full delight.